You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 192, covering Accession and Rules of Engagement. Friends, friends, it's a good week. It is. We we got a we got a couple of really good ones this time. Yep. And, uh, and if you're foes of the show, fuck off. Are there foes of the show? I'd like to believe that we've uh, that we've made a few enemies over the years. Yeah, but I feel like are they still? Li- well, of course it's the internet. Of course they're yeah, still they're listening. still listening. People listen I've... to us so that they can be like, oh those guys. Yeah. Those guys so and their wrong. opinions. Right. Oh, that Slugworth. He was the worst. All those uh, all those fans of past tense. Yep. Still listening, like the past tense fan club. Yep. Holding up pennants that say hat guy. <laughs> you know, hat guy is the leader of those guys. Of course he is. They, they, they meet in Tasmania once a year at hat guy con. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like they to think that it's mostly... They call themselves files. What's that? They call themselves bipple files. Oh, God. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. So we we have we have mentioned in the past about DS9 and its titles that don't make any sense or are generic or vague. Mm-hmm. I think this one is maybe the worst one. Oh yeah. Because I don't even know that this is a word. I didn't look it up and it probably actually is a word, but it's not a word that's commonly used. Accession. 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 It sounds like a uh sounds like a fragrance. Or as I said when I was getting ready to watch the episode, let's access some ions. <laughs> That actually would make more sense if it was an episode about accessing ions, yep, but it's not. it's not, even a little bit. No, it's about religion. Your favorite thing. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what happens. Do it. It goes, it goes pretty much like this. Prepare yourself. The most unspeakable of evils has returned. This episode, do you dare face the sheer horror that is Keiko? Ah! Actually, cheap laughs notwithstanding, Keiko is actually kind of cool in this episode. Ah! Also, also, she's pregnant again. Ah! Thank you. So that's something Miles can look forward to, I guess. Meanwhile, Cisco meets with Vedic Dracula, who has brought a young couple aboard to get the blessing of the emissary. This whole emissary thing has made me really uncomfortable since the pilot, says Cisco, and I wish it would just go away. And so, in accordance with the basic laws of narrative causality, Cisco gets his wish and then immediately regrets it. Meet a Coram Lan, a Bajoran poet who accidentally steered his lightship into the as-yet-unknown wormhole 200 years ago and is now returning to finish the very important poem he was working on. And also to become the real emissary to the prophets, what with him technically being the first person, chronologically speaking, to contact them. A Coram basically acts the way you'd expect a man displaced in time by two centuries to act. He demands a return to the old ways. While she doesn't actually appear on screen in this episode, we are assured that Kai Wynn enthusiastically approves of this, surprising nobody. And so Bajoran society completely uproots itself on the word of a poet who thinks things were better in his day. Bajor withdraws its application to join the Federation. Kira prepares to quit the military to become a sculptor. And a Vedic murders a dude who refuses to get with the times. That's about enough of this bullshit, Sisko declares, and he drags Akorum into the wormhole to ask the prophets directly who the emissary actually is. In their own non-linear, non-coherent fashion, the prophets make it pretty clear that Sisko's their man. So Arcorum decides that he should just go back home to the good old days, and Sisko returns to his job as Bajoran Space Jesus with a new appreciation of what the job entails. And Kira mercifully stops making swans out of Play-Doh 
and resumes doing the two things we know she's good at, being a soldier and not giving a damn what you think. Akorum would go on to die of primitive diseases like four days later. <laughs> Boy, it sure is nice to be back in the good old days. Oh no, no medical! <laughs> Wait a minute, things are actually terrible back now. What was I thinking? I didn't actually check the, the history books too closely, but it turns out that the day I left was the day before the occupation. <laughs> Here come the Cardassians. I wonder if they'll be our friends. Oh, shit. <laughs> Boy, I sure I'm writing some good poems here in this concentration camp. <laughs> well, you know, some some uh, some writers do their best work in prison, but, uh, yep. you know. Plus, <laughs> and some writers die in prison. Sure. I mean, they're writers. Little column A, little column B. Think of think of the writers you know. Yeah. Me, for instance, and you. Yeah, as far as writers I know, the two of us would not last long in prison. <laughs> no. So you're a pacifist, huh? <laughs> we would become each other's bitches for defense. <laughs> and then be no, killed no, no, anyway no. because we're not clear on how that works. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought him for some cigarettes, which I then shared with him. <laughs> but we don't smoke, so... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. I always thought being being a non-smoker in prison would make you a millionaire. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, if if you have a if you have a resource that is consumable but you're not consuming it yourself, yep. then it's really easy to hoard. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um this episode, okay, I really like it first of all, and I I was under the impression you didn't, and it turns out it's just that Kai Win effect again. Yep. It made you really angry, but like which I will I will talk about my bad thing. Uh, let's do that. All right, so this week an old person, which I hate, who is also that old. who is also a poet, which I also hate, uh -huh. shows up out of nowhere to use religion, which I hate, to <laughs> tell people what to do, which I hate, because things were better back in the old days, which I hate. Now, I recognize that Akorum is in the wrong here, and it's the entire crux upon which the episode is based, uh, but it still makes me angry because fuck you, old man poet, you're not the boss of me just because you fell in a space hole. Uh, I don't know. Like, their their whole religion is based on the fact that the prophets don't directly talk to Bajorans, so if a prophet actually talks to one of them, well, it's kind of a big deal. Well, clearly they didn't tell him anything when they launched him out of the hole. Like, No, uh, apparently what actually happened was he, he, he inadvertently fell into the hole. Mm -hmm. He was, he was, his ship was damaged, he was injured. All they did was fix him and send him back, but because they're non-linear, they sent him back now. Yep. Instead of the proper time. Mm -hmm. Because they don't understand time. They're like, uh, here, here. Although then they end up revealing, no, you, we, we used you to, to kind of test Cisco because uh, he needs to want this. Yes. I, 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 I like the, uh, I, I like them using him to, uh, you know, one of the important things about this episode is just having Cisco finally say, yes, this is the, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, there's, there's an arc that. and without, without tipping what happens later. Yeah. This is sort of the middle part of the arc where at the beginning he really didn't want to do this and now he's sort of reluctantly accepting it. Yeah. And it will go beyond this in future, but this is this is an important intermediate step in that journey. Mm -hmm. But I also really like the idea that they uh, they brought this guy into the wormhole to save his life and then just missed when they put it back out. <laughs> I like that idea, but that there's apparently more to it than that. Yeah. You, um, you, spent, you sent me 200 years into the future. What's the future? Yeah, what's a year? Your what home, right? Bajor. That's yeah. where you live. Yeah, we, we look, you came in from that direction, so we sent you back that way. Ah. We know how space works, we just <laughs> don't know how time works. <laughs> I always I mean, like an idea that's based around whoops. 
<laughs> yep. I was I was distracted to read, and you won't know this because you're not familiar with this movie, but I was distracted when I found out that because the, the, the dude looked familiar. This the the, yeah. the new emissary looked really familiar. He played Fletch's editor in the movie Fletch, mm-hmm. and he played the horrible Indian Pakistani, some kind of horrible sort of far eastern like uh, stereotype terrible accented guy in a Steve Martin movie all of me uh-huh. and it's super distracting to know that this is the same guy yes it's it's like it's like if you saw um well it's like when we saw the maitre d from ghostbusters in that one next gen episode yep or um uh what's his face from the princess bride oh yeah 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 that was another that's, one no that that's different cuz he's in under 50 tons of uh of uh, ferengi makeup no, no, not that one. The uh, oh. the the Quark's rival. Uh, I don't remember. Ah, oh, God, what the hell is his name? I mean, I vaguely remember. When that, he he was a human-looking guy that just moved in across the street from. Right, Quark's. right, right, right. I know who you're talking yeah. about. All right, he played he played Prince Humperdinck. Right? That was it. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was a little distracting, but this was this was way more like. Yeah. Just because it's one of the Fletch is one of those movies. If you're of a certain temperament or of a certain age, you have watched it a thousand times, mm-hmm. and I am, and I have. And it's it, again. It's I think the the most similar comparison is to Ghostbusters because it's yeah. a comedy that I've seen a million times, <clears throat> and it's just like, oh no, no, you're the foil for the funny guy. Yep. You're not. You, I can't take you I seriously. <laughs> aren't you're you there to? Aren't you supposed to be worrying about your hotel? Yeah, you're you're there to be like repeatedly undignified by the main smartass guy. Yep. That's your job. I had no idea it would be this expensive. I won't pay it. <laughs> um. But beyond that, he was okay. The thing is, apparently the original casting choice was David Warner, which would have been so much better. Oh, yeah. Well, it's David Warner. Because, well, I mean, just someone of that caliber, if they hadn't gotten him specifically, someone in that range, like Mm. someone with some gravitas. Like, I feel like this guy wasn't bad, but he felt kind of um, weaselly. Yeah, definitely. Weaselly's not quite. There's a smugness to him, I'll tell you There's definitely a smugness, but there should be. Like, like yeah. I, f- I feel like the role demands smug. I met with the prophets. I mean, he's already a poet. <laughs> like, not only that. Okay, not that he writes poems because that's fine. I know plenty of people who mm. do that. He is a poet as a living. That is his profession. Yeah, that's the thing. If there's anyone more insufferable than a professional poet, I haven't met him. Well, okay, and and apparently in the old days they have these things called the jaras. Yeah. I didn't actually call up. The no, but it's kind of it's kind of summary. an important part of the episode. Yeah, which is which is the old ways, which is your family determines your job. Yeah, they have is, a yeah, they have a caste system. Right, which is ridiculous, first of all. Mm-hmm. But okay, fine. Um, but uh, apparently poets, like artists, are highly regarded. Like Kira is reshuffled to become a sculptor. Yeah. And suddenly people are giving up chairs to her and like, oh, you get to live in the good place now and you get to be important. Like, really? Artists which, are... Which huh. is weird since, as we've seen, Kira ha- can't actually produce anything. Well, that's the thing. is She was born during the occupation. Mm. She has only known a life of fighting and it's only in the last five years that she's adapted to an, a peacetime role and she's still very much a soldier yeah like, like she, she could not be more of a soldier right if she was arlie ermy <laughs> only only two types of bajorans come from decora province <laughs> i'm not gonna say what those are but... <coughs> and orion steers yeah um but it's it's 
I don't know. Like the smugness is good. I just feel again like if if he had a little more gravitas. Like if if we've been able to buy him as an authority figure. Yeah. I feel like we were set up to hate him from the beginning. Well, yeah. And I guess that's because we're supposed to take Cisco's side and realize, yeah, he should be doing this. Yes, but I mean, like, it's not hard to get me to take Cisco's side. Right, but I think if they had made the guy, like, more... More relatable? More compelling, more charismatic, more powerful. That's the thing. If they'd made him more charismatic... And then it would have been had... like, well, maybe like if if they'd filled us with some doubt in the middle of the like around the middle of the episode yeah. where where the audience we we'd be thinking maybe they're right maybe this guy is better to this job and then then the twist comes yeah like, exactly Fuck, but no, we we pr- he pretty much hits the uh, hits on the everyone's doing everything wrong thing right away well yeah because he comes out and he sees how things are and he's like well that's not how it was in my day mm-hmm. so he's basically a baby boomer yeah. because everything in the fifties was perfect. Mm-hmm. And everything now is terrible with your rappy pants. Could there be anything on Earth more terrible? <laughs> than a baby boomer? No. No, there could not be. No. Yeah. But on on the other hand, again, it's not that you disliked the episode. It's that Kai Wynn effect. It's yeah. that they, they created such a believably awful guy. Yep. Like, it, it's exactly, it, it hit a nerve for you. Yep. And that's because, good. That's good writing. Yeah. Because it's channeling something that that is real in the actual world. Yeah. Which to me is what Star Trek, like, Star Trek thinks what it does well is addressing social issues. It doesn't. No, what it does well is pissing me off. (laughs) But but when it does this, which is not directly saying, it's not saying religion is bad. No. It's saying, well, I don't know exactly what it's It's saying. It's hinting that religion is bad so that you draw your own conclusion. No, it's, it's more taking a, like... Don't be such a hard line, orthodox, inflexible. Like you need to change with the yeah. times. Be- Bejor had this horrible occupation where lots of bad stuff happened, but one of the good things that happened was that it shook us out of this weird, primitive way of living. Yeah, because we all had to fight, and afterward, we didn't all want to go back to doing whatever bullshit our families. Yeah, did. exactly. As famous baby boomer Bob Dylan said, "The times they are a changing." Oh, I thought the guy in the opening credits of the Watchmen movie said that. He said it too. Okay. Um, a lot of people said it, just like a lot of people saying hallelujah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that until just now. Is uh, that a word? Wait. Hallelujah? I, <laughs> um, oh. I just, I like doing, like when people say, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. I like saying who? <laughs> nope, never heard of him. Is he a friend or? Is he a friend to all children? <laughs> Who's that? What's that name again? I, I forgot. forgot. Um, I, I do think it's weird. Okay, so uh, as I mentioned in my summary, there's a whole bit where um, the Federation is like, well, we don't believe in this this caste system thing. Sorry, you can't join us anymore. And they're like, good, we don't want to anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, but the Federation is fine. Like a charter member of the Federation, the Vulcans, are fine with arranged marriage. Yep. Which feels like basically the same thing. The government tells you who you should marry versus the government. I mean, it's not the government, but it's like culture telling you who you should marry versus culture telling you what job you should have. I don't know. They seem different, and I can't figure out why. I think it's still society pressuring you to change your life in a major way and not having any choice in the matter. Mm. Or maybe it's just that the Vulcans are a founding member of the uh, Federation and they can get away with that shit. Well, right. But, I mean, Spock was locked into that. He was in a Spock lock. Yes. In the episode Spock, I'm off. 
Which again is Bob's joke, not mine. But I do love it. It's so. a good Bob joke. It is. Um, but it, it, it's it's interesting to me that I mean it's good that the Federation takes a stand against this this caste yeah. system thing, but it's weird that they don't uh, that they don't against arranged marriage. I mean, maybe it's because you can throw a guy off a balcony if he uh, if he doesn't do what someone in a higher caste says. And that's where my bad thing comes in. Not that that happened. Because something needed to happen to set this off and make the Bajorans realize that this was a step too far. Yeah. But my suspension of disbelief, like, I actually bought that this could have existed in Bajoran culture not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And it's plausible that the occupation forced them to change and they don't do it anymore. And it's plausible that they take this emissary thing so seriously that this guy saying they have to go back to it is like, well, okay, I guess we have to go back to it. That's the word of God. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm down with that. But to the point where a priest gets to kill a guy for not conforming to the rules, which just changed. Mm. And they even said there's going to be a transitional period. Not everyone's going to change immediately, but eventually they will. They specifically said that. This guy said that. Mm -hmm. And then like two days later, he kills a guy for not immediately conforming. Yep. That, okay. I get that he's maybe crazy overzealous. That that character-wise I'm okay with. But he felt totally justified and it seemed like he wouldn't get in trouble for that or he at least believed he would no it was great he's looking around like yeah i killed them where's my parade yeah i'm a hero basically i i assumed that i would get the key to the station that's uh i mean look yeah i don't want a huge party but uh i am a hero yeah i mean you know we could book out quarks for an evening that, yeah you know the thing is they didn't set this guy up as enough of a zealot that that's viable, or that's the that well, I would buy Well, that's the thing that. is, I think I think we're supposed to buy that this is how things are going to be now. That priests are just allowed to do that, mm -hmm. and that's where it loses me. Like as a as a as a fictional thing that I'm supposed to believe, I don't believe the Bajorans would be that radical to allow people to kill people who don't conform to no. this way of being. Doesn't that make just, a whole lot of sense. No, that that was my bad thing. Mm -hmm. But overall, I, I I really like this. Like, oh, yeah. I like I like the Bajoran religious stuff. I like the prophet stuff. I like Cisco's special destiny for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like I I I don't I, I'm not a religious guy in real life. I don't really believe in stuff. But in fiction, I like it, especially when it's given this big sort of epic like like you get a, a hint that Cisco's destined for something greater. Mm -hmm. That they have an important like they specifically say you're you're our guy. You're the Cisco. You are a Bajor. There's something special about him. Yeah. I like that. And because they're nonlinear, to them it's already happened, so it's not like there's some stupid prophecy or something. It's mm. just, like, it has a scientific explanation. I like that. Yeah. And it gives this show just a whole different sort of personal feel because we're following this character that, that like, is sort of like an epic hero, like, from old mythology. Yeah, he it's... Can, <clears throat> he can talk to the gods. It's great. Yeah. They live over there. Yep. In that hole that guy fell in. <laughs> and then fell out immediately after, but 200 years later. Yep. Yeah. Um, I liked the uh, I liked the return of the uh, what was it the light ship. Yeah, that was that was nice, and that was probably just them wanting to save money and uh, not build a new model. But yeah, but it was, it was cool nice, and it made sense. Yeah, nice bit of continuity. Yep. This is a few hundred years old. Here's your proof we traveled through space. <laughs> but overall, like what I was saying is okay. Big picture wise, this is an important episode. But it's also a hugely important story, character-wise. Oh, like it, absolutely! It, it, it builds on some plot stuff, but it really builds on some characters. Yeah, stuff. there um, there comes a point, uh, in the in the in the, you know in a story where you have to sort of have, you know, your character sort of embrace who he is. 
Yeah, there's like, a turning point. There's a I'm I'm it's it's the Joseph Campbell like there's a there's a there's a thing in the basic sto- story breakdown of that kind of storytelling which is called refusal of the call. Yeah. Which is like no, I don't want to do this and then they have to. Yeah. And I think this is that point for Cisco. Yeah, when you, he's finally like, okay, no, you know what? I've been putting this off for four years now. Um, yeah, it's time to approach it head on. I mean, yeah, it's a little coincidental that the day he says, I don't want to do this anymore, he doesn't get to yeah. do it anymore. But I know. I think it's important when you have, like, when you start off with a character who has to do the thing yeah, and he keeps doing the thing, it's important to at some point say, well, here's your out. Right. You don't want to be the, the emissary anymore? That's fine. Yeah, because the story of someone who's accidentally swept up into something, that's not really a hero. That's just the circumstantial yeah. like thing. But but yeah, now we know he has a choice and he's doing it because he, he knows it's the right yeah, thing. Yeah, it's the you know, it's the, the decision to just take this thing. Right. I I really like there's there's something they could have done in this episode and they didn't. Mm. Which is they could be sort of not racist but xenophobic about like, well, he was never Bajoran anyway. Yeah. They never bring that up. No, I thought it was weird that they never touch on that. I like that. I like that it doesn't occur to the Bajorans that the reason he's not the emissary is because he's not a Bajoran, and now this guy's a Bajoran, and so he's obviously the real guy. Yeah. That had nothing to do with it. Mm. It was because the guy came chronologically first. That's why. Yeah. I like that. I like I like that these guys are at least open-minded enough to say, our emissary could be a human. Why yeah. not? Sure. Look, he talked to the prophets. Yeah. That's... The prophets don't really talk to many people. No. So... I was wondering about, have, you said we talked about this. I don't remember talking about this. Mm. Uh, so I apologize to the listeners if this is rehashing, but I don't remember. D- do, do the, like, do Bajorans just constantly go to the wormhole waiting for the prophets to talk to them? See, we talked about this a while, like, this was probably back at the beginning of DS9. This might have been in the pilot. Yeah, yeah that might, it might even have been in the pilot. Um, I've got this working theory that, uh, you know, there's scheduled tours of the wormhole. That makes sense. Like, uh, you know... A daily pilgrimage. There's like maybe f- there's like maybe three or four shuttles a day that go right. that basically just go into the wormhole, stay in the and, wormhole, and then leave. Right. And you know, like because and they just sit there and meditate and wait for the prophets to contact them, and that never happens. Yeah, exactly. Because we're talking about a very religious people. Yeah. Who live next to God? Who have concrete proof that their gods exist and are right physically right there? Yeah. Yeah. There, basically, my assumption has always been there's no way you could keep all these people from going into the world. Yeah. No, so, there's, there's documented yeah. like evidence that a, 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 someone has contacted them directly. You, it is possible. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like praying and hoping for something you've never seen before. It's happened before. It could happen again. Yeah, exactly. So you've got, you know, you've got like four scheduled tours in there a day and the rest of the time, you know, we can get ships in that. But, but the prophets just don't like care enough about your average people to talk to them. No, that so that, it never happens. That's why Cisco's the emissary. He's the only one they talk to. Right. And he can barely understand them. He's a smart guy and he can still barely understand yeah. because they're just so their context is so different. To, you are the Cisco. You are a Bajor. What? what the hell does that mean? You are the Cisco. I okay. You can't what? it doesn't work if you change the inflection. <laughs> Talk normal! How about if I say it as Odo? Will that make it more sense? You are the Cisco! No! Now now I'm your son. You're the Cisco, Dad! Nope, still not getting it. Now I'm Kyle Pocket in the cameo appearance. You are the Cisco. That was was a great cameo appearance, by the way. Cisco has a a nightmare slash, what do they call it, orb shadow? Orb shadow. Right, like like an acid flashback from his orb experience. Yep. 
and and Kyle Paca shows up for all of 30 seconds yep. and very cool of that actress to show up and do that because because uh, you know for those of us who've been keeping up since the beginning it's like hey it's her nice <laughs> and it's nice that it's not Kai Wynn yeah. well you are the Cisco Ugh. we do find out indirectly like I say she doesn't appear in this episode no we but she, indirectly she, that she she looms heavily over the episode which is nice because yeah she's down there she's the she's the spiritual leader she should be involved in this and well i mean that's her job she is uh very much into the idea of uh the church of the, yeah of the new emissary oh good here's here's someone who's more along with my way of thinking yep and he he actually tips to cisco yeah she's a little scared of you yep and and he probably knows that but it's cool to hear it it is so nice to hear from you new emissary the old emissary brought nothing but problems to major you you are malleable you'll probably do what i say i can, I can work with this yeah, that guy just does what he thinks is right. I can't deal with you that. Want, you, want, you want the church to be able to tell everyone on the planet what they have to do for a living? I love it. <laughs> and I'm the head of the church? Hey, good idea. <gasps> hey, the Dejaras don't apply to me, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, my family were like beet farmers. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Priests are exempt. Oh, good. Okay. Of course they are. Yeah. Funny that. Mm. Uh, the episode was written by Jane Espenson, which yep. is cool. Uh, if you're uh, a Buffy regular fan... Yeah, regular writer of Buffy. Uh, she worked on Battlestar Galactica. She worked on a bunch of stuff, but I know her from Buffy more than yeah. anything. No, she uh, she was actually, after the Joss Whedon episodes, uh, Jane Espenson was always the one who, when her episode popped up, I would be like, oh, good. Yep. And unfortunately, her name, like when it would pop up on Battlestar Galactica, would be episodes I, I wasn't crazy about. But uh, she might just not have been a good fit for that show, or maybe they gave her the crap episodes. Really or, behind the know. idea of Lee the lawyer. Yeah. I just, it, I found it boring. Mm. But yeah. Um, what else? Jane Espenson. Okay, so let's talk about. Um, actually, let me let me get into my good thing, and then we'll talk about the subplot a little bit. Yeah. Um, my good thing is uh, Nana Visitor in particular. Kira has some particularly complex emotions to play in. This. Oh yeah. She basically has to go from, my boss is also Jesus, mm. so I respect him and I love him, but also I have to listen to him. To she completely does a 180 and know this guy is the emissary, yeah. and now I believe this, and I never believed that. Yep. And they have a great scene where Odo calls her out on it and is like, um... I'm sorry, I thought he was the emissary. Yeah, yesterday he was the emissary. Yeah, but it's different now. But I, how could that, how both things be true? Because well, faith doesn't have to make sense. Oh. Oh, well, that, oh. <laughs> that explains why I don't have any. How convenient. Hey, me too, Odo. Me too. <laughs> Oh, you just changed your mind overnight, and now all that stuff you believed in for thousands of years just isn't true anymore? Oh, that's easy. Uh, see, I don't know. Science is like that. Yeah, but that's fine. Science is always, like, bringing new facts to light that makes our previously held beliefs invalid. Look, Al, I don't know if you've picked up on this or not, but I'm racist against religion. I, I, I've, I've picked up hints of it. It's been subtle. Yeah, been no, I'm, I, a... I'm usually pretty quiet about it. Yeah. Doesn't come up a whole lot. No, but when we do these religion episodes, it's good to maybe bring it mm -hmm. up. No, I, I just, I mean, she plays all of that so believably. And we've talked about this before. The fact that one of our principal characters is a religious fanatic. Yeah, like devoutly religious. Yeah, not just devoutly religious, but really a crazy fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. Like she, she's like, well, I'm not really an artist, but if that's what I'm supposed to do, okay. Guess I better make some birds. And you can tell she's miserable, but you can tell she's prepared to make her entire life miserable because that's what the emissary said. Yep. And there is an absolutely heartbreaking scene 
where she has to tell Cisco, I'm sorry, this is what I have to do. I have to quit. Yep. And they both sort of have like tears welling up in their eyes. And it's not melodrama at all. No. It's just super emotional. And just the two of them are so good together. And like I say, she's got two or three levels of, of, of feelings going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. She's got to follow her faith. She doesn't want to disappoint Cisco. She doesn't want to leave the life that she's ever, the only life she's ever known. Yep. Like, there's all this stuff going on. And she plays it so well. And a well. job she's fantastic at. She really is. And, and really, what else could she do? Nope. She, like I say, she was born during the occupation. Mm-hmm. There has been no other job for her. Nope. She's had five years of peace, but she's still a soldier. Like, what else is there? There's two things we know about Kira. Yeah. Well, I said so- them in my summary. Yeah. She's a soldier and a religion. Yep. And she, she doesn't, like, she could be a cop, maybe. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, we, we were talking about this. It's like, so what could she do? Yeah. Maybe uh, a gym teacher. Yep. That's about it. Definitely got the haircut for it. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I think we've covered basically all the major points of the um, of the whole emissary thing, yep. right? Is there any other? Uh, no, I think we can move on to the, uh, the subplot well, now. We should talk about the subplot because it's your good thing, and it is actually, like, there is some, some meat there. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. So while all this is going on, um, we have the return of Keiko and uh, Chief O'Brien having to learn how to be a husband and a father again. Yeah, he's had a whole year on his own. Yep. And just missing Julian. The thing is, I remembered this friendship as being one of the, like, pillars, like, like after Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Yep. The, and, and Data and Geordi's up there, too. Mm-hmm. The One of the main friendships of all of Star Trek. And for, like, the first three years, O'Brien didn't like Bashir. He found him kind of annoying. I'm like, when is this going to happen? Did I remember wrong? That's the thing. It develops very organically and, 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 and very it happens, And it doesn't just happen in one episode. It happens over about ten episodes. Yeah. So it, it, it does have time to grow. I just thought it grew over a long period of time. And But now we're at the point where, yeah, he's like, I missed my BFF. There's a great shot where he's staring longingly at his Battle of Britain uniform. Yeah, his like old fur coat from the like the the eleven hundreds or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's like, well, I could be out with Julian, but I can't. I got to stay here with me wife and me child. <laughs> I got to teach Molly how to play darts. Yeah, that's the thing. He starts teaching Molly how to play darts, and she is entirely not interested. I love your now, Molly. I'm going to teach you how to drink a point. Yeah, <laughs> you'd leave it half finished on the bar. Memory Alpha is quick to point out that there's like seven different scenes of Julian and Miles sitting down for a beer and none of the beers get finished. Nope. That's a lot of wasted Guinness. Yep. Hurts me in my heart. Especially since Quark has to like specially import it from Ireland, yep. presumably. He just pours it back into a giant into a giant barrel he keeps behind the bar. He's got it in a pitcher. Yep. Like 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 you would put juice in or Kool-Aid yep. in. As if other people ordered it. Now I okay, that. Now, there's other humans. There must be other beer likers. Mm. Like, humans like beer. But I don't know beer that well, but I don't... I I, I'm, I I know a lot of beer people, and I don't think I've ever seen anyone pour it out of a pitcher like that. Well, I mean, I know that the, uh, you know... Like, don't they drink it warm in Ireland or something? I, that may be. But wouldn't it go flat sitting out like you that? Like, think, aren't right? you supposed to keep it under some pressure to keep it bubbly? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And I'm sure there's beer people screaming at me right if now. If there's one thing I learned about beer, it's that it's awesome when it's the coldest thing you've ever seen. Well, I mean, refreshing drinks are like that regardless. Yes. I don't drink beer, but I, I feel that way about, you know, drinks in general. Uh-huh. But I, I, it just it feels like the Quark really just 
It feels like, like, even as a not-beer guy, I feel like he doesn't know how to treat beer. Like, that doesn't feel right. I mean, I would understand that early in the se- in the series. But yeah. By this point, he sh- he, by this point uh, O'Brien and Julian are pretty regular. No, he bar. sees them cross the threshold, and he, he reaches for the pitcher. Yeah. He knows, like, okay, here's what's happening here. Yeah. They're not going to order something else. It's like Worf and Prune Juice. It's going to be the same order. Yeah. Every time. But anyway, back to your good thing. Uh, yeah, so we also have... Uh, so first of all, we have the, uh, you know... That friendship, and I, I yeah. like seeing Chief O'Brien just trying to get back into being a husband and a father. Yeah. And and, uh, and and great great acting from Colmini. Like, on the one hand, he does love his wife and kid, but on the other hand, he's clearly pained. Yeah, miss my friend. And yeah. uh, Keiko's actually pretty amazing in this episode. She really is. As, like, we gotta give her full credit for As this. sort of like, oh, he really likes Julian. Yeah, plus, he doesn't have to be here all the time. No. I'm pretty sure he had other interests when I was here before. Yeah, I don't remember a, what they were because they didn't yeah. give a shit. But uh, yeah, I still don't. <laughs> I feel like a year off, like a year long break from their marriage was probably pretty good for both of them. <laughs> I think maybe the writers realized, wow, we write them like. I bet people wonder why they're married because they don't seem happy together. No, we've wondered that since she showed up. I mean, her the the episode about them getting married. Yep. Was like, why, Miles? Why are you doing this? <sighs> But seriously, she was, like, full-on, no, like, you don't have to qualify it in any way. She was great. Yeah. Just... And we've said this before, when they write them as sort of a sweet couple, they're total like, they have great chemistry. They absolutely do. It's just that most of the time, all we do is see them bicker. Yeah. And they, they're good at that, too, is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, these two actors have something where you totally buy that they're, like, either a bickering married couple or a loving married couple, but they feel like a couple more than most couples you see on TV. They absolutely do. And that's to both of their credit. I think Rosalind Chow is great. Mm-hmm. I, 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 if we haven't made this clear before, we like her. She's a hell of a good actor. Yeah, we think Keiko is a shrieking shrew most of the time. <laughs> that's the writing. Miles! That's not her. Yeah. In here, she's she's more like, Miles. Aww. Miles, go play with Julian. But she does this cute sitcom-y thing at the end. Where she's like, I talked to Julian. He's really sad. He, Go see him. He misses you so much. Yeah. He never said <laughs> Brian it, leaves, but... and she's like, uh, Keiko to Bashir. I just talked to Miles. He's really sad. He's so sad. Yeah. It was adorable. So, although I just picture as soon as Brian leaves, like, all right, now that he's taken care of for two hours, I'm going to have an affair. Yeah. Well, that was the whole thing, is she sent him away so she could resume, like, her thing with her uh, Bajoran botanist yep. friend. Um. She's pregnant again, by the way. Yeah, she is. I mentioned that in my summary. That is a true thing. Yep. Uh, and I actually, I, I never do this because it's more work for me in editing, but I do have to put in this bonus quote because this is something we've quoted before and it is delightful. This is, this is uh, revealing to uh, another main character that Keiko is, is going to have a baby. Did you hear? Keiko's going to have another baby. Now? No. Seven months. I see. Worf delivered Molly and him. Really? The Enterprise was damaged. Keiko and he were trapped together when her time came. Oh, well, I'll uh, be sure and call you when she's ready to deliver. You can lend a hand. Seven months. Unfortunately, I will be away from the station at that time. Hilarious. Yeah. And I love, uh, yes, I will be uh, away oh. from the station. In nine months from now? In, well, uh, I... nine months. Yes. Definitely. I mean, uh, honestly, you're Worf. There's a one in three chance you're not going to be here anyway. Oh, is it a work day? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Klingon shit to do. 
Yeah, I'm really only here in the spring. Honor. Got to restore yeah. that honor. Uh, or, we're uh, talk about that in a minute. Lose Nuh-uh. that honor. <laughs> All right, we need to push forward. My actual quote. Yes, please. Going back to the Cisco thing is is just, I, I love this so much. So you're off the hook. How does it feel? It feels uh, good. No more ceremonies to attend. No more blessings to give. No more prophecies to fulfill. I'm just a Starfleet officer again. All I have to worry about are the Klingons, the Dominion, and the Maquis. I feel like I'm on vacation. That's just, that's the kind of sort of serious slash sarcastic that I love from Cisco. Yeah. But talking about stuff I love from Cisco more in the second episode. Oh. <laughs> Matt, your episode is so great. All right, so let me tell you about rules of engagement. Yep, please do. This week on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Commander Worf is a murderer. Suspect accused of genociding over 400 Klingon civilians during a skirmish with a couple of warbirds. Single, single Klingon lawyer Chapak is sent to DS9 to get, to get Worf extradited back to the Klingon Empire for execution. Apparently there's no honor in blowing up children. Who knew? Unless the uh, story's good, obviously. So it looks like we got ourselves an old-fashioned courtroom episode with Chapak as accuser, Sisko as defendant, and some Vulcan admiral as the judge. Chapak accuses Worf of knowingly opening fire on the civilian ship because he's a Klingon who loves murder, which is a fine defense if you've never met Worf. <laughs> Look, say what you will about the things Worf is bad at. Klingon, father, diplomat, son, commanding officer, brother, not being a racist, friend, dad, poker player. But he is not a communist. I mean, a murderer. Except for killing Duras and attempting to kill his own brother last week. And also the usual amount of people you kill while being an officer of Starfleet. Actually, Chapak might have a point here. Luckily, Odo manages to find some information in a secret file marked to finish the episode quickly, proving that Worf didn't kill anyone. Well, not those particular people, anyway. And Chapak returns to Kronos, where he can chase ambulances if Klingons believed in them, which they don't. The end! Okay, you, you listed dad and father in that list. That's correct. I don't know if that was intentional or not. It was absolutely intentional. Also, you gave up on doing your this week on Star Trek voice about halfway through. I can only get through the I can only get through the one sentence. Yeah, I understand. That's a tough one. It is. It's not like this, it's not does. like doing the Cisco voice for the entire episode. Oh, please don't. <laughs> now people are gonna write to me and say please do, but please don't. I did. Go back to that episode. No, not the entire episode, just the entire Oh, the entire, yes. No, I'm not going to do that. This episode, man. I was like, my my first, one of my first notes was, oh, good, another courtroom episode. Like, this is, this has been played to death. Mm -hmm. But, wow. Yeah. It's, oh, my God. They did some great different stuff that they hadn't done before, and, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, the way, the way the episode is shot, like, this is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. They do this unique thing where they have, um where they do flashbacks during the like during the courtroom scene. And we have the um where the characters actually talking directly to the camera while in the middle of whatever's happening that they're talking about. So we'll have like uh we'll have like uh uh Dax and Worf doing one of their training sessions and then Dax will just start talking to the camera about, you know, what she's thinking and what they do. It's a... right instead of the standard like starting the testimony and sort of putting that audio over the flashback. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's a really unique way of sort of, uh, you know, telling the story and sort of keeping the action going. Yeah. 
And you no, know, and it honestly, it took me out of the episode at first. I really didn't like it the first time, and it's it made me realize Star Trek is so much about this is our house style. That yeah. Anytime they change anything and get slightly artistic with it, it's like, oh, that's wrong. Yeah. And it was like, wait a minute, no, that's actually good. I should not react that. Yeah. Way. No, I loved it just because it's something I haven't seen Star Trek do before. You know, it's a nice way of shaking up the a courtroom yeah. episode, which but we've they seen so many rarely times. get experimental with their approaches. There's yeah. such a standard house way of like, this is how you do a courtroom episode. Period. Yeah. And it was so cool to see them break away from that. Absolutely. And uh, Lavar Burton directed this, and he said it was actually really exciting to be able to do something like yeah. that. Well, which was cool. Well, no, well, like when you're doing the courtroom thing, and it's in the middle of like a uh, like this really tense uh, uh, spaceship battle, and you've still you've got the main character turning towards the camera, going, and then this is what I did. Right. Well, and it's a, it's also an interesting device to show in the heat of whatever's happening, what's going on in the character's head. Mm-hmm. Like you have a rare excuse to non-hack in a non-hack way. To have Chief O'Brien turn to the camera and say, here is what is going through my head right now as I do this Ab- thing. Absolutely. Which you can't typically have characters doing that, so it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. Yeah, no, it was... it was, And not just that, there were some other interesting director, directorial choices as well, yes. I thought. Like, just interesting camera angles, interesting like choices of focus and close-up and lighting. Yeah. And no, uh, LeVar Burton's a hell of a director. He is, and I hadn't noticed before. Like, he's been fine. Yeah. But he's just like, at this point... I notice it because he's LeVar Burton, but I don't like, he feels like he fits with the other guys. Like yeah. there's nothing distinctive. Like it's, I always notice when it's Avery Brooks because he directs like an actor. Mm-hmm. He gives a lot, he does a lot of close-ups. He does a lot of stuff that focuses on the, the actors and doesn't really care about the visual, like visual effects and all that crap. Yeah. Like it's almost like he's filming a play and that's not a, that's not a criticism. No, it's, it's definitely about, a way to do, to do a episode of this. It, but you can tell to him, it's about the performances. Yeah. It's about getting close to what the emotional core of it is and, and really seeing what they're doing. And, yeah, the sci-fi stuff is the background, but who cares? Mm. He doesn't care about showing the explosions. He wants to show you what Odo's face is doing or whatever. And I, I like that. But apart from him, I haven't really noticed a, a signature style for anyone. And uh, it's cool seeing LeVar Burton sort of break away. Yeah. Just I like the idea of, of him just be like, you know. After all this, I'll, and he's done like an, a lot of episodes of DS Nine at this point. Yeah, I think I think more than any other. Like Frakes did at first, but he kind of he kind of went away. Yeah. I think he. I, well, I think at this point he's directing First Contact. Yeah, absolutely. But um, but like I I can't think of any of the other. Like I know a bunch of the next gen guys directed like one off episodes. Like Patrick Stewart. Patrick did Stewart's one, done I think. some. I think Brent Spiner did one. Yeah. But like Gate, I don't Gates McFadden. I, Maybe, but I can't think of anyone else who's gone on. Like, Frakes and LeVar Burton are the only ones, I think, that went on. To direct, yeah. To the other series. And I think LeVar Burton does some Voyager as well. Yeah. Because I seem to remember that he and Tim Russ became pals while he directed Voyager. I could be wrong about that, but I seem to seem to recall that. It's pretty that. cool. Yeah. Um, but in any case, it's uh, that's one of those things where, like, Star Trek take, takes care of its own. Mm-hmm. Which I like. They always try to keep those guys working. Which well, I yeah, like. I mean, like directing launched Jonathan Frake's second career, so... Yeah. You know, when exactly. he got too puffy to be an actor. <laughs> I don't know. Tell that to Orson Welles. Yes. There's no such thing about getting... There's no such thing as getting too puffy to direct. F for cake. Or to act. <laughs> um, but no, I, overall, like, there were some... There was a really cool lighting thing they did toward the end when Worf is totally just defeated. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. Where it, he looked old. Yeah, he looked... Like, beaten and haggard and it's like they didn't change the makeup you pointed out it's it's a lighting thing yeah 
and it just it made him sort of look gray and like you could see more of the crags in his face and like it was I don't know there was some really good yeah he just looks utterly destroyed it's really great yeah and I think it's really to this episode's credit that again another courtroom episode like uh, three series now mm-hmm. we've done so many courtroom episodes this this show's done a few that are like ugh. like like Dax was not a great that courtroom was actually episode. a pretty terrible courtroom episode yeah um the one with uh Gul Dukat and the orphans was all right but that wasn't a full-on courtroom episode that had a court scene at the end Gul Dukat and the orphans must be the worst children's book I've ever heard the title of <laughs> Lil Orphan Dukat <laughs> We're going to build a treehouse out in the woods, Major. I'm Gull Warbucks. <laughs> Ugh, can you imagine him without pupils? Good lord. I crawled, out, I crawled out of hell, Major. Also, the listeners have spoken. Apparently, your Ducat voice is a, uh, is a fan favorite. Well, so, uh, thank you. You'll be hearing a lot more of it. Well... I mean, we don't really have an excuse for Sulu to trip balls anymore, it's so we, we got to update the, uh, you know. It's sad, really. Eh. Can't, can't do my Patrick Stewart anymore. Mm, not really, no. Armis still shows up for some reason. Though. Well, you can't beat Armis. No, he's liquid. Nothing can stop Armis. <laughs> uh, so my good thing. Yes, please. Uh, okay, a Klingon lawyer. We, we've we've had many discussions about like Klingons have scientists, Klingons have this and that. Like it's it's always hard for us to imagine anything but a guy out there fighting. Yeah, but they have to exist because there's a society. There's a whole society. Like they they got the, they got warp. Yeah, you can't you can't. I mean, even if they stole warp, they'd still have to be smart enough to know how to yeah. look at it and copy it. <clears throat> like we're still talking about a spacefaring race even before warp. Yeah, and and. I, there, there's infrastructure. I mean, there's there's buildings on the planet. There's there's jobs that must happen. Yep. That are not that don't involve killing guys. But it's it, this is the first time I think we've really focused on something that isn't a straight up like politician or or warrior. Yeah. And and it's awesome. Yeah. This guy is is something we've never seen before, and they they have a real opportunity to to build this whole corner of the culture we've never seen, and they nail it. Oh between, yeah. Between the acting, this guy is amazing. Yeah. The ridiculously named Ron Canada. Yes, which I pointed out is a com- it basically sums up the post-atomic horror. Yes, it's half me and half you. Yes, half Ron, half Canada. Yep. But he's, he is amazing because he's got the intensity of a Klingon, but he's sort of slippery. Actually, uh, English Gav was watching this episode and said he thought the guy felt a bit Cardassian. Which is absolutely true. Yeah, and really, my thought was, okay, he's an action bureaucrat, yeah. so he's a warrior bureaucrat, which is what the Cardassians are. It's like, the Cardassians are like, if we took the Klingons but made them slippery spy guys, mm-hmm. and that's that's this the guy. Like, his battle, his his honor comes from beating people in court like it's a war. Yeah, no, he talks about this. It's like, it's not about, you know, whose side I'm on or anything. It's about the, it's about the fight. Yeah, and he even says... After I defeat Worf in this and drag him back to the Empire, I may defend him. Yes. It's not about me being on his side or your side or whatever. It's about... It's the challenge. Yeah, and the challenge of taking taking this side against him and then switching and taking the side to defend yep. him would be amazing. No, he's a he's a fascinating character. I Like, I really like this guy. Yeah, and again, it's, it's half writing and half acting. Like, you gotta give huge props to the actor. Mm. 
because this could have fumbled so easily because it's like, okay, at this point, they cast good Klingons, but you already have a lot to copy. Yeah. Okay, if I do a little bit of Dorn with a just a tiny bit of Galron, not so much Galron that I overshadow everything, but, you know, like, like there's other guys you can look at and say, this is what a Klingon acts like. A mm-hmm. little bit of Tony Todd, a little bit of this guy. Like, I, I could do a good Klingon, but there's no precedent for this. This guy no. invented a whole new kind of character. And he's such, like, everything about him is just unique. He's like this weird sort of stocky guy with no obvious <laughs> no neck. neck. Yeah, you said it looked like someone, like, squished him down. Yeah, it's like a safe fell on him or something. <laughs> right. Like, when he when he takes off the uniform, he's, like, accordion. Yes, exactly. But he's, like, he's he's got, he's still got the intimidating presence that a Klingon actor would have. Yeah. Like, the actors that they get to play Klingons. But he's not, it doesn't seem like he's going to punch you. It seems like he's going to run rings around you logically, mm-hmm. which he does. Yep. In court, he basically tricks Worf into punching him. Yeah, it's that, that is such a good scene. Well, the, the cornerstone of his argument is awesome. It is, our people are brutal murderers, and Worf is one of us. Yeah. Like, basically, the, the, the whole gist of what he's saying is, we're terrible people. And Worf is one of us. Yeah, but uh, really look at that. It, it really speaks to what we were saying. Like, he doesn't care what's correct. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to paint his people with this horrible broad brush because it suits his purpose. Yeah, because it'll win him this... this uh... Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't care about representing his people well. No. He, he cares about winning. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. I love that he sees this as a fight to the point where he's taunting Cisco. Yeah, exactly. He comes up to him, you know, you should probably just give up. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's, we, we have these sort of intermediate, like, like uh, intermissions between court scenes where they're like like Cisco's having his dinner and this guy will come sit with him and say uh you're gonna lose hey buddy and he even straight up tells him look we want to extradite Worf so that that will break down the relationship between the Klingon Empire and Starfleet which will then give us permission to do all kinds of shit you're not letting us do yeah that was kind of my bad thing really I did not like the idea of him right at the beginning of the episode too like he just shows up ah Cisco this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to ruin you. Goodbye. See, I like that. I like that it's, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a cliche. It's a little bit of a standard villain. And he's not a full-on he's, villain. No, I would, I would say he's not at all. No, no, no. But this, this sort of character aspect is a stock villain thing, which is the overconfident, arrogant villain who tells you what he's going to do because he's so confident he's going to win. Yeah. That's how it came off to me. But uh, no, I just, I, I think it would be dumb. No, I disagree. I also think it sh- it completely short circuits any chance of Cisco uncovering that this is what their motives are. Oh, so he can have his moment in court. It's like you were trying to do this. Yeah, I told you that yesterday over lunch. Don't you remember? No. <laughs> I like like he's basically circumventing <clears throat> um, Cisco being able to say you guys are trying to sabotage our relationship by saying, "Hey, we're trying to sabotage our relationship." Damn it, that is smart. Like that's that's how I took it as a strategy. Mm. It throws Cisco off because first of all he knows. Second of all he knows. Well, shit. Now I can't even question his motives because he's told me. <sighs> so yeah, I don't have a defense for this. <laughs> I've run rings around you, logic. Damn it! Woo! This is the sound I make while I'm running the rings around you. Woo! Woo! Doppler effect. 
but the, the the courtroom scenes in particular like again these are these have been done a million times yeah. it could be boring but cisco is amazing oh, like he's got that great like we've seen kirk be awesome in, in in a courtroom scene we've seen picard be awesome in a courtroom scene this is the f- first time cisco steps up yeah. did he represent dax back in that episode i don't remember i remember it not being that remarkable regardless yes but no he's freaking great in this one he's passionate and like and he basically uses this guy's tactics against him yep he's basically like leads him into a trap mm-hmm. like would you agree with this would you agree with this well then therefore yeah. <laughs> i put it to you sir oh no i love logical traps like that yep. like that's that's just one of those clever things that i am always a sucker for and i love getting back to the the lawyer guy too when he's on the stand he's very he does that that very non-committal while still saying stuff thing yep you know yeah, I'm not going to... Look, I just provoked a violent reaction out of Worf, but I'm giving you nothing. Yeah. It's like, would you say that uh, relationships between the Klingon Empire and the Federation are strained right now? I don't know if I would say that. No, what he, he says, uh, uh, actually, we don't have an official relationship. There you go. Yeah. Like, he, he's still lawyer balls in. Yep. Like, well, technically speaking, no. Of course. And then I didn't uh, I didn't mention this in my summer. Basically, what happens is that we find out um, the ship wharf blew up, uh, was empty. Uh, the crew manifest was from a ship that crashed like a month ago. Yeah, so all those guys were actually dead, but they died in an unrelated, un like unviolent, just accident where they died in a ship crash. Yeah, so there's a great scene where uh, where uh, Cisco hands uh, Chipak this pad and is like. You recognize these names, and Chapak's like, I do recognize these names. Yeah, their names are seared into my. These heart. are the names of the four hundred Klingon civilians who were murdered by that man over there. Really? So you're you're sure that's the right list, right? These are the names. The the names of the people Worf murdered. Yes. Yes. Well, how likely is it that these same people, all of them who have nothing in common with one another, would get on the same ship? die but miraculously survive and then do it again a month later (laughs) how likely would you say that was perfect and the thing is okay my bad thing is actually that particular circumstance like i love the scene i love the general I, i like the plan even what i don't like is the very standard cliche of well we have fucked ourselves in court we got nothing Good thing there's someone investigating parallel to our yeah. uh, our court who found some loophole, some something we didn't find in court yeah. that will exonerate everyone. Yeah. The thing is, like, while I like what happened, like I like yeah. how the Klingon Empire was setting this up to sort of bring Worf down, yeah, and uh, d- like you know discredit him, and uh, you know, no, and the the actual plan itself was not a bad plan. No, um, the pro- what. The problem is that we spend the episode checking in with Odo as he yeah. doesn't find anything, you know, just so we can lead up to, I found the thing that'll save us all. Yeah, like and it, that's happened in Next Gen before. Yeah. I think it's happened in the original series. It's happened here. Like, Odo's actually been the guy. Yeah. It doesn't It doesn't feel earned. No. Like, if you're going to do a courtroom episode, you know, this should be settled in the courtroom. Yeah, I feel like, I like stories that, that deal with like here are the tools we have on hand everything that happens will happen with these tools and we're not going to suddenly introduce a thing at the end like you have all the pieces to solve the mystery if you if you think about it yeah exactly we're not going to bring in this extra thing that you never could have thought of like cisco should win because he's a good lawyer 
you know, not right. not because he found not because he got to find the manila envelope with all the answers in it. And he didn't even find it. No, I know. He knows a guy who's really good at being a detective who found it for yeah. him. And yeah, you're right. It doesn't feel earned. No. Uh, I do like that Worf basically fucks himself though. Like he's that was he's like, such a great fucking scene. Because the the uh, the Chipak, who I keep wanting to say Chipotle, <laughs> it's okay. So do I. Says, uh, um, I have these logs of your personal like what you do on your off time, and uh, Cisco said that's inadmissible. And Worf is because he's so fucking proud, and so I have nothing to hide. And what you could like, Cisco doesn't slap his forehead, no, but, but he, he basically he... does. Like, uh, and he basically like tricks Dax into revealing that one of the things Worf does is go on the holodeck and play as this genocidal general yep. who has to give the order to burn a village down and kill all these innocent people, mm-hmm. which it's amazing to me that he plays a violent video game is admissible in court, but uh, whatever. I mean, listen, if playing violent video games means that you are a murderer, um, yeah. then you're a murderer. Ah, uh... Even I am a murderer, because I have been known to play the occasion. Uh, yeah, I've killed literally trillions of people over the past Probably 30 is. years. Don't even get me started about the amount of mushroom people I've crushed. Well, I mean, those guys had it coming, really. That, that's kill or be killed. If you just stand there and do nothing, they are going to kill you. Oh, yeah, if you just, like, if you just wait. Yeah, it's not like they're going to walk around you. No. They can't, they're in two dimensions. Yeah, you're going to fall off the screen. Right. Um... But I feel like, like, I, I love that trick. I love the, like, uh, so you got nothing to hide, huh? So uh, what about this? Ah. And Cisco's like, damn it, Worf, you got nothing to hide. Really? Really? Like, Worf, Worf is the one who ties the noose around his own neck, yeah. is what I'm saying. And he actually says to Quark in one of the flashbacks, like, I, uh, Quark says, well, what happens if the Klingons fire on you? And he says, I hope they do. Because I am a warrior. And he, and he doesn't dispute that. That's what he said. Yep. Because he really did want to pick a fight. And that, to me, the core of this episode is the last scene between Cisco and Worf, where Cisco says, you know what? I defended you because you're my guy. You were wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You fired on a ship without checking what kind of ship it was first. Yep. Are you fucking nuts? Simple fucking... It's like you knew there were civilians in the area. It would have taken an extra five seconds... Yep. To look at the display or turn to Chief O'Brien and say, what is it? But no, you wanted to show off in front of the Klingons. Yeah. And, okay, let's talk about this. It's a civilian ship mm-hmm. with a cloak. Yeah. Is that a thing? Because nobody treats it like it's unusual. No, it doesn't seem like it should be, you know? It seems like cloaking devices are specifically for military applications. Yeah. And I've, I've always had a problem with the Klingons using them anyway, because it feels dishonorable to sneak around well but, i mean we've talked about the klingon version of honor well, right in... but but plus it's been an essential part of the klingons from day one yeah they've had cloaking devices like since i think since the original series now that i know they, they definitely had in the original series mm, i know the romulans did no they were buying them from the romulans they made a right but that's what i'm saying i think that might be a retcon i don't know if we actually directly saw it happen in the original series is what i'm saying we only saw a couple of klingon ships we usually were meeting them on planets or whatever I don't know. The original series used the invisible ship events thing a lot, just because it meant That's they didn't have to show the ship. Right. Or they already had the footage of the one ship fading out. Yeah. Which is why the Romulans and Klingons were allies, because they had the same ships, because it was cheaper. Yep. But in any case, they may have shown it, I don't know, but they did show it in the movies for sure, mm-hmm. so it is definitely a, an established thing from back in the day. Yeah. It's been there for a long time. 
I, I've never really bought that, but whatever. But civilian ships cloaking makes no sense because, okay, they're they're obviously undefended because one good shot from a Federation ship blew it up. Yeah, that's why we have convoys. Right, but what I'm saying is that makes it super easy to steal this highly like sensitive proprietary technology yeah. from an undefended civilian ship, so it seems even more unlikely. Mm. That's all I'm saying. I mean, like... You know, you can expect the Federation to not steal it because it's the Federation and mm. we don't do that kind of thing. We don't lie. Yeah. But uh. there's a lot of bad people out there. Yeah. You don't think a uh, Ferengi marauder wouldn't try to pick off a Klingon civilian ship to get the uh, cloaking device? Oh, hell yeah. They don't have cloaking technology. No. They want it. And the, uh, the Cardassians right now who are, you know, like from our perspective as a space station trying to maintain good relations with them it seems like the poor klingons or you know the klingons are picking on the poor cardassians but you know there's cardassians out there picking fights too oh absolutely gold ducat's out there somewhere picking fights yeah <laughs> any day where he doesn't kill someone innocent is a bad day well right but i'm what i'm saying is he's specifically out there like like going after klingons oh yeah so there could be cardassians stealing cloaking devices mm -hmm. is what i'm saying but in any case, that just that felt a little off. It's to me. not, yeah. You you would think that that would be one of the first things that Cisco brings up. You you would think, but yeah, whatever. It had it, it's sort of central to the premise of the like, mm -hmm. like the whole thing of Worf reacting in an instant only works if the ship appeared from out of nowhere. Yeah. So it has to happen that way. So eh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um, I think that is it. Yeah, this was this was amazing. Was a great this couple episodes. Like, yeah, but I mean, the first one I liked. This, this one was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fucking um, Worf. Yeah. Oh, oh that, uh, that one last thing I wanted to mention, and the writers mentioned this too. They were a little disappointed because Worf's almost completely not in it. Yeah. He just sort of sits there and sulks while everyone debates his fate. It's kind of like what we talked about with Dax, actually. That is true, but like this episode, I don't know. He. It might just be because when he is on screen, he's making a much bigger impression. Like, he's certainly not sitting there waiting to die. No, but he does seem sort of resigned to his fate. Yeah. Like, oh, they're probably going to drag me off to the Empire in chains now. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. They brought the chains. They're right over there. Yep. Like like so much Chewbacca. Mm -hmm. right. With the C-3PO strapped to his back? Yes, I do. It's right from the end of the episode. Oh, let's go. They'll all be waiting. <sighs> Look, this party isn't for you as much as it is for them. Things got a little tense there for a while. They need a release, a chance to celebrate. But I do not feel like celebrating. Part of being a captain is knowing when to smile. Make the troops happy, even when it's the last thing in the world you want to do. Because they're your troops, and you have to take care of them. Life is a great deal more complicated in this red uniform. Wait till you get four pips on that collar. You'll wish you had gone into botany. That is that is quite nice. I love, I've said this before, I love the whole sort of subplot of, or the, the just the, the, the little runner of Worf on the command track, Cisco taking him under his wing. Yep. Like I've said before, we've never seen a guy on his way up being taught how to be a captain. Mm. And I like that. I like that Cisco's a good captain and he's teaching a guy how like how this stuff works yeah it's very cool you're kind uh, of a screw-up though mr wharf yeah don't don't do it again okay incidentally i'm going to add uh defendant to my list of things that wharf is bad at 
<laughs> this is true. Don't, what, the, the, okay, number one rule, don't punch the judge. Subclause of number one rule, rule 1B, don't punch the lawyer. What is wrong with you? Actually, you know, don't punch anyone in the courtroom. Yeah, really, just don't. The bailiff, me, yeah. anyone. The bell. Yeah, the... <laughs> oh, that bell was mocking my honor. I threw it across the room. I guess yeah, court's out of session now. Dong. Yeah, we can't, uh... <laughs> How do you have a courtroom without a bell? <laughs> uh, all right. So that is all for the unspoiled. Uh, uh, go away now if you don't want spoilers. Yep. I don't actually think I can't actually think of a lot of things that relate to spoil. Oh, the, the, the emissary thing. Yeah. Th this is the middle part of the arc. This is the like the OK, I guess I'm the emissary. My absolute favorite episode is still coming up, mm. which is, I think, next season or the one after where he gets zapped with some kind of energy and becomes, like, obsessed with building some ancient Bajoran thing. And, like, like he's completely, like, they all, Starfleet says, you knock this off or you're going to have to quit. And he's like, well, I guess I'll have to quit. Yep, that's the end of my career, then. Like, the next step in this journey is him completely embracing the yeah. adversary thing. And I just, like, I love, and most of that has to do with Avery Brooks and his intensity, but, uh, you know. Very intense. Yes. But I, I like that, and I like, uh... I like this, I like that we're seeing some middle steps in here. Now this It's not just a thing we come back to yeah. like in two years and he's fine. Well you can't just have him go from I don't want to be the emissary to I am the emissary, you know? Right. This needs to be this needs to be a journey for him. It's like you said, he has to have a choice. Yeah. He can't just be a thing he fell into, it has to be a thing he wants to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about the other episode? Is there anything uh, apart from there was more sort of hints that Dax and Warf are gonna be a thing. Yep. But Apart from that, I can't think of anything that really... They're doing a lot of sex term. fighting. Which I like. Yeah. And I like that. I like how much she's into it, that it's not just, like, this, like, Worf's reading it wrong. Like, it would be easy to play it as she's just into Klingon stuff, and he thinks she's into him. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she's very much into him as well. Mm. Like, I like that. I love her delivery of, uh, haven't you hurt yourself? A couple of bruises, broken finger, nothing I can't handle. Yeah, and I've given him just as I've yeah. just as good as I've gotten. Worf's like, yeah, she has. Yeah, she has. <laughs> that that seems like I should be ashamed, but it's kind of hot. Pretty hot. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And and they did it. They, like they are doing a really good job of slowly building that. Yep. Because that doesn't start happening for another year. Wow, it's really that far off, huh? Yeah, and they don't get married for another year after that. Yeah. Like they don't they don't start dating until early to mid season five, and they don't get married until like early to mid season six. Mm. So we still got a ways to go. Yep. Which is nice. There's a gradual courtship happening, but but yeah, when we get that episode where they finally realize they're a thing, he he is oblivious. He's like, "Wait, what? You're into me? Really?" Or if you dope. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'll just add observant to that list. <laughs> All right, anything else? Uh, no, I think that's everything. Very well. All right. Um, as ever, postatomichorror.com, postatomichorror.tumblr.com, postatomichorror at Gmail. Yep. Um, we have started preliminary discussions with our good, great friends on the Drunken Time Travel podcast, the, the Doctor Who podcast uh, done by our friends English and Irish Gav, mm -hmm. about doing what is now our annual crossover event. Yep. That will be happening this year, sometime around Christmas. It's just nice to do it at the end of the year. Uh, we, we have something painful planned. Yep. We're, we're doing something that is going to hurt. Yeah. 
but that makes for good comedy. So, uh, so uh, if if you're fans of, of us and or them or of, of us suffering, especially or, if you're fans of us suffering, because yeah, you, oh. you should you should tune in for that. That'll be the end of this year. Something's so. coming. Yep. All right. Let's get out of here, Matt. See you, folks. Trailer 2. Welcome to Drunken Tangible. On my right, English Gav. And on my left, Irish. Let's do the introductions in the wrong order. Gav. Shh. Nobody will notice. Time for beer? No. Only time for me to tell you about it. It's good. So, Gav... Do you like the English Gav character? English Gav character? He's the uh, English one? Oh, he sounded a bit pissed he didn't get any beer. Join English Gav and Irish Gav on a journey through time and space. From the very beginning. So this, I'm getting a beer. Available now on iTunes. Visit drunkentimetravel.com. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.